I know it's beginning to get colder outside, uh, but I'd like to take you back to a warm summer evening, right? And have you imagine, I like to imagine, because I have a new deck out back, to sitting on that deck, right? On a nice, warm summer evening, and if indeed on that deck you were to light a bright light, on a nice summer evening at dusk into the nighttime, what comes? Bugs. <laughs> Lots of bugs, right? And so this is why we keep our doors closed so the bugs don't go in the house. And sometimes why we appreciate not having any light on that dusk uh, time uh, frame. Because when we turn on light, bugs come. I want you to hear that. When light shines, there is bound to be what? Bugs. I share that because I think that's the story of the beginning of the book of Acts that we've been studying since the beginning of September. When the light of Christ has shined in the midst of this story, as the church grows in this story, we have noticed that there are all kinds of bugs that start showing up. But hear this, in spite of the bugs, the church continues to grow. Let me rehearse that a little bit for you in review. So after Pentecost came some ridicule. Pentecost, this bright light of the Spirit falling upon his people, right? And yet after Pentecost, there was ridicule. But in the midst of ridicule, we read that there were added to their number 3,000 people, right? After the healing of the lame man came persecution, but the church grew in boldness and unity. In the midst of this came the corruption of Ananias and Sapphira in their very quick death in their disobedience. But from this, it says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Last week, we looked at the apostles being put in prison Uh, Their proclamation, their miracles is a bright light shining. But with that light came bugs of Sadducees that placed them in prison. But as our text begins this morning, it tells us that the number of disciples were increasing. So get it. The light of Christ is shining. And the brighter that it shines, more bugs come But the more bugs that come, the brighter that the light shines. With me? And this is why Luke writes about it to Gentile believers who are suffering for their faith. This is why we study this text in this time. Because Luke is telling us, as he told the Gentile believers, we must seize the day that is even filled with bugs. To declare the brightness and the goodness of the light of the gospel. This week we turn to a text that introduces yet another bug, right? But it should not now surprise us that even this bug causes growth in the church, that the light shines brighter. Last week, our our point was that the power of God brings pushback, right? We saw that as the power of God is revealed, there was pushback. The apostles were thrown into prison, but that pushback reveals the power of God. They were miraculously uh, escaped from prison by an angel and put back in the temple. So it was the point last week. So in, in like manner, Luke this week makes this point in 
chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Growth in the church brings conflict. But get this. Don't be afraid of conflict. Conflict brings growth. Ready for that? Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, turn to them. Keep them open. We'll be going through this text this morning. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Or maybe on your electronic device to be able to see this, the very Word of God. It will also be on the screen this morning. I'm letting you cheat. right? But I want you to listen in the text for these two points. That, that, that in growth comes conflict, but in the conflict actually comes Growth. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. This is the very word of God. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set before the apostles these men, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God bless to us the understanding of his word. First point, I already told you, right? Growth is going to bring conflict. So again, hear the growth of the church in verse 1 here. There are great things happening. It says in verse 1 that the disciples were increasing in number. Uh, so, so get this, uh, disciples, those committed to learning more about Jesus, not only believers in Christ, but now those who are in a learning process of knowing more of Christ in the gospel. These men, uh, they're committed to learning more about Jesus, are increasing. And the word here is interesting. Uh, the word increasing actually means multiplying. That there is actually now an exponential growth happening in the life of the church. And I bring that out, not so that you are impressed with my understanding of Greek, but so that you don't miss the radical change that happens between chapter 5 and chapter 6. So to this point, up through chapter 5, we have heard God, Luke saying, by the power of the Spirit, Luke saying that there were believers... Added to their number, right? We've seen that in five different places in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, right? That rings a bell, right? Here in chapter 6, Luke makes a distinct change. He says that the disciples, so not just now believers, but disciples, those in a learning process of what it is to follow Christ, are increasing. And the word here, better translated, is multiplying. 
I get excited about this stuff, but I want you to get excited with me, right? And the reality that we've gone from believers adding to disciples multiplying. There is an exponential now growth in the life of the church. And it is that rapid growth uh, that a murmur starts, right? One person says to another, you know, some ladies aren't getting the attention that the other ladies are getting. And that person says it to another person, you know, I heard that these ladies aren't getting that's the attention to the other ladies. And, and this is good. And all of a sudden, bubbling up. We, we don't sense that this is a, a formal complaint. It is a, a murmur that this rapidly growing church now faces. Uh, to understand the conflict better, you need to understand a bit of history, right? So, so it, Jerusalem, uh, it, in days gone by, the people of Jerusalem had been scattered all over the known world. So even going back hundreds, even thousands of years after the destruction of the temple, uh, Jews were taken and spattered all over the ground. And so they would have gone to Greek-speaking, Greek culture places, Right? And so people grew up in a different place, still Jews, but now learning the Greek language and learning the Greek culture. And, and what's happening here in Luke is that in this New Testament time, in Pentecost, and, and, and with the coming of Christ, some of those uh, Jews are now coming back to Jerusalem. They are Greek Jews, right? But there have been some Jews who have stayed in Jerusalem. They've never left. These are the Hebrew Jews. And now you have this... Um, you ready? Ethnic divide in Jerusalem of Greek Jews and Hebrew Jews. And the murmur that has arisen is that the widows of the Greek Jews aren't getting the attention that the widows of the Hebrew Jews are getting. Got it? Let me pause here for a moment. You see what's happening? An ethnic divide in the church. And the, and the divide is brought in us versus them in the life of the church. The church has been focused on being one as Jesus and God are one that he tells us in John 17. Uh, the church that has had everything in common, this church that we keep saying is so remarkable, is now beginning to be what? Divided. And since we have never experienced that in the church in our daily lives, right? We've never known the church to be, that, that, that's a joke, Right? Because yikes. Is this story not the story of the church? Is this story not the story and the reason that many people no longer come to church? Is this breakdown, is this division a bug in the current church? Of course it is. Seems to be a recurring Nightmare for the church. There, there are macro divisions in our church, unless you, in case you need help. Macro divisions in church over race, over politics, over theology to begin. And there are the micro conflicts in our churches, the, uh, the bug of worship and leadership and even, for goodness sake, the color of the carpet. I do want to tell you that if you're visiting here with us today and are new to Covenant Church, uh, we never have these kinds of conversations here. We are perfect. Uh, you should keep coming here um, because we, no, that, that's just not true, right? 
even with astounding leadership, among us are murmurings of division. Conflict exists because conflict comes with growth. Some of you have witnessed it in your businesses, sometimes in your families, certainly in our church. Anytime you see, ready? Anytime you see the multiplication of imperfect people, <laughs> you're going to see the multiplication of imperfect problems, conflict, of bugs that come when the light shines. Growth brings about conflict. So get that, but also now get this. In the economy of God, this is why I love God so much. In the economy of God, conflict, when handled well, brings about growth. So skip to the last verses of this text, right? We see in the beginning that the church is growing rapidly, and yes, there's this murmur. But now skip down to the bottom, because we're going to see that bugs somehow make the light brighter. If you look at the end of our text, as a result of how the conflict was handled, it says that the word of God continued to increase. <laughs> that, that, that though there's a conflict, the, the ending statement of Luke to the story is, but the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples, there it is, multiplied. Now, just for those of you that like to follow around, follow along and like the whole English language thing and the connections there, that word multiplied is the same Greek word as increasing in verse 1. That's why your brilliant pastor was able to say that increasing actually means multiplied because it's used later and it said multiplied, right? And so here it is, the disciples multiplied, but don't miss this, greatly. So it looks as not only is like it's, that's good stuff that's happening in verse one, but when we get to the end of the story, it's happening and even happening greatly. Now, when I first saw that word, I thought that has to be a mega. I've talked about megas from this pulpit, right? That when we think about the Greek, we think, okay, so it's increasing and it's mega increasing. And I thought that's going to be a really cool point. And then I looked up the word, and it's not mega; it's sphadra. You don't look terribly impressed by that. Well, let me tell you what sphadra means. Sphadra means um, exceedingly. So uh, one of my favorite places in Scripture, especially at Christmas and beginning to think about Christmas, is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, where it says the wise men uh, see the star, right? And they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. They rejoice with sphadra, Great joy. So there is a sense in which there's joy, and then there's exceedingly great joy, right? And so I just picture them like they see this thing, it's fulfillment of all that they've known, and there's all this. And we take that same word with that intensity, and we are looking at the church, and at the beginning of this story, before the conflict, it says they're increasing, right? They're multiplying, but now they're multiplying greatly. You don't all seem as excited as I am about that, but I, um, I love that reality. Luke's being real here. He says, yes, there's conflict in the church. There are bugs that are coming to the light, but even those bugs 
are making things brighter. The final note in this end of the text was this, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Listen, maybe some of the last people that we would expect to be converted would be the priests. Here's why. Because in order to, if indeed a priest would convert, he would lose his job, right? Because the priests were set up in the temple to do all the sacrifices. And if they realize that Jesus is the Messiah and they proclaim it, not good job security there, right? Um, In the reality that the sacrifice is no longer needed to be made. So you lose your job, you get excommunicated from your family because your whole family history is wrapped around your father and your grandfather and your great-great-grandfather and your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather have all been priests, right? And so now you're excommunicated from your family and in fact, in some way, you lose your identity. Because that's what your life has been wrapped around. And it says here that even, so even here Luke, right? Even the priests are coming to faith in Jesus. It really is incredible the growth of the church expressed in these verses. But maybe, get this, maybe more incredible that this growth is linked by Luke to a conflict the only thing between the conflict and the growth, or, or, or the, the, the beginning verses uh, of this text and the ending verses of this text, is this massive conflict. So it begs a question, I hope you have this morning. Like, what happened? How does a conflict bring about, bring about growth? So uh, let me turn to Ken Sandy. Ken Sandy is a great man of faith. He's written a book called The Peacemaker. Um, It's a great book, and he talks about conflict resolution a lot. And and he tells a story at the beginning of this book of a time in which he and a number of friends went backpacking deep into the uh, woods of southern Montana. So they're about 10 miles in uh, with their packs in the middle of this hike, and they come to a stream... Right, that is surging because of ice melt, so cold water flowing quickly down this stream. And because of the surging of the stream, the bridge has been washed out. Introduction to conflict. So how are we going to solve the conflict? Well, Ken said it was interesting. We had one guy on the team who goes, that's too dangerous. We like, need to go back. <laughs> like, I'm done. I'm out of here, right? We're, 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 we should go back. And, and then you had Mr. Macho Man, right, who said, we should cross the stream. I don't care how cold it is. I don't care how strong it is. We'll, get, we'll eventually dry out and warm up. Hypothermia hasn't killed me yet, right? And so Mr. Macho just wants to take on the conflict headstrong. And Ken says, fortunately, I had a friend there that said, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. Let's think creatively. Let's look at the stream. Look, there's a rock there, and there's a rock there, and there's a rock there. They're positioned well. If we take that tree that we saw just back the trail a little bit, and we drag it out, and we place it in good places, we could actually cross the stream. We could make our own bridge. And so they did. And they positioned themselves along the stream. They passed their packs across, and then they helped each other get across. And they all crossed this stream without even getting wet. And Sandy says this. It's often how we handle conflict. Some are fearful of it. 
and want to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> any, any takers, right? Hate conflict, right? Some, the bigger the conflict, the greater the challenge. I'll take it on. We'll pass through it. There they are, right? Like, we'll, we'll take it on. I don't care who gets hurt. I don't care who dies. We're going to take care of this conflict, right? And we're, here we go. And then there are some that love to find creative solutions. Listen, there is sometimes value in all three. But most often, finding creative ways of resolving conflict works best. So how do the disciples deal with the conflict of the distribution of food, the murmur? That's the question. Let's look at their creativity and learn two things quickly that I think help us. Bringing growth from conflict is recognizing that conflict often reminds us about what is important. Conflict often reminds us about what is important. Look at our text. Uh, the, the 12 disciples, right? They hear the murmur in the midst of the internal conflict. It says in verse 2 that they gather and call the others. So listen, they're taking the conflict seriously, maybe even acknowledging that the conflict is real and not just some kind of selfish murmur. This is a problem in the life of the church. So let's get together. And so the 12 disciples come and they gather the other disciples around them. And all we have in the text is the conclusion that the 12 come to. Here it is. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's their conclusion. Now... I'm going to take a bit of a risk, so warning Will Robinson, I do this for you once in a while, right? This is conjecture. This is Rick looking at the text, making a couple of guesses, but I think safe guesses based upon the conclusion. My guess is that the conversation went maybe something like this. The 12 disciples are together, the other disciples gather around them, and somebody, the compassionate disciple among them, says, hey, listen, we should deal with this. We have the authority in the life of the church. We have the ability to, to go in and we, we should help this scenario. <laughs> to which Peter, I'm just guessing, right? Because he's more the bold guy, right? Steps up and goes, I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, listen, look at what's happening in the life of the church. It's growing like faster than the 12 of us can do if a couple of us take time in order to deal with the distribution of food for widows. We're taking people away from discipling others and the church exponentially growing. And they go, huh, maybe that's true. Peter, you might be on to something. And so they come together, and what might initially seem like kind of an arrogant statement, right? Maybe a eh, self-proclaiming statement is actually a wisdom-filled statement. Listen, we shouldn't be distracted by the murmur to be taken away from what it is that God has given us to do. And that is the preaching of the word and praying and the making of disciples. They're reminded, hear this. Of what's important. Conflict sometimes can remind us about why it is that we have been made. The problem is that often in the church and in our lives, conflict can become a distraction from the important things. I wish I had the time to show how in many ways 
Attention to conflict has taken the place, literally, of preaching the word in history. How it has led many churches, even denominations, some which you are familiar with, has led many of them to be more concerned about the issue of the conflict than the truth of the word. And you know what happens? It's a slippery slope in which the issue becomes more important than the word, and we begin to compromise the word in order to satisfactorily deal with the issue. You with me? Just in case you're not, let me wade into some interesting waters this morning, right? You all love me, right? So here we go. For instance, listen, sexual orientation is a big deal in our culture. And there is a very real question out there about how the gospel of Jesus interfaces with those who find themselves same-sex attracted. But, in many cases, the church has focused so much on loving the homosexual that they have left the faithful preaching of the word of God. The truth of the word of God. And if that one doesn't hit you at home, let me share another, since we're into fun waters as it is. In your life, has the very real conversation of who is going to be king of this country gotten in the way of our trust of the king of kings? I don't know about you, have you heard maybe a murmur? Even in the life of the church, it has created division over an earthly king. And we have lost sight of the king of kings. That the church somehow has thought that it needed to take a side. Listen, one way or the other. And we have lost sight of the thing that is important, that no matter, listen, no matter who becomes president of the United States, that Jesus still reigns on his throne. That in Jesus we find our hope. Church, we can't can't lose our focus of the important thing and land in a distraction that divides us. Is the election important? Let me, let me backtrack. Is the election important? Absolutely. Should you vote? Absolutely. Do your research. Go to iVoters.com. Look at websites. Go vote. I'm telling you to go vote. It's your right. It's your privilege. It's our freedom. We should do it. But don't do it thinking that somehow Mr. Biden or Mr. Trump is going to save or destroy this country. Because, quite frankly, it doesn't matter who sits in that seat. Jesus is still king. See it? Do you see how easy it is to get sucked in to the issue and lose sight of the things that are important? Church, we need to gather up. We need to gather in. And not be distracted by the conflict of the virus, of the election, of our brokenness. So much so that our eyes are taken off the word of God. 
Again, hear that in the conflict of the first century church, the word of God, what? Increased. Why? Because in the midst of the conflict, they gathered and remembered what was important and what was best. But they don't ignore the conflict, do they? I said there's two principles. One is that conflict reminds us of what is important. The second is this. The conflict requires us to love. It requires us to love. The disciples, after declaring the importance of preaching the word, makes a plan for addressing the injustice of the misdistribution of food to widows. From, from the many disciples gathered with the twelve, they pick seven amazing men, full of good repute, says the scripture, filled with the spirit of God and with wisdom, and they commission them to address the conflict. I think it's interesting. Commentators will go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on this issue, but I, I think it's interesting that all seven of these men have Greek names. So, so listen, 12 Hebrew disciples addressing a Greek problem don't say, well, I want to make sure we pack the court on this. We're going to put six of the Hebrew guys and the four of the Greek guys just so make sure we don't lose our rights here, right? No, listen, all seven guys are Greeks. Why? Because there's empathy for the widows. They want someone that understands Greek culture. They want somebody that understands Greek widows. They want somebody that can communicate with them. And so there is a love shown by the disciples here in establishing seven Greek men, good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, to solve this issue. It's a sign to me that the twelve were not acting out of their ethnicity, but out of love. The issue is an issue, and it deserves the attention of wise and holy leaders. So out of love, the twelve appoint seven to address the conflict. Some will point to this in our church, to, to point to church government, of the difference between deacons and elders. That's not a bad discussion, not a discussion I'm going to have today. Some will make much of this as regard to the wisdom of delegation in the church. That all of you have gifts that benefit the church. That's a great discussion, but not a discussion that I'm going to have today. Can I just say this? That maybe today, more than anything, in a divided country, even a divided church, we need to learn to love those who are not like us. We won't see that on a debate this week. We won't see that on Fox News or CNN. But we see it in the scriptures. We are to love those who are not like us. Conflict has created so much separation and hostility around us, and it seems way too often the church gets sucked in. And people of God, this is just plain wrong. In fact, be so bold to call it sin. News alert. Ready? Not everyone is going to think like you. Let that sink in. But the goal, listen, the goal of the Christian walk is not uniformity. That everyone is the same. That we convince everyone to be like us. Rather, it is unity in Christ in the midst of the diversity of our opinions. And the only way that happens is by loving those who are not like us. 
Listen, even those who are interrupting our lives with conflict. Ken Sandy says this in his book. Instead of avoiding all conflicts or demanding that others agree with us, we should rejoice in the diversity of God's creation and learn to accept and work with people who simply see things differently than we do. That maybe as we come to the surging stream without an apparent bridge, that we find creative ways to have, listen, discussions and not debates. That while we are reminded of what is important and standing for the truth of the gospel of Jesus, listen, we might do as the Apostle Paul tells us to do, to do that, to speak the truth in what? In love. That is where the conflict will bring growth. And the more we do it, the more we will celebrate our differences and learn from people not like us. All for the expansion of the kingdom and for the glory of God. Hear it. The light will shine. And when it shines, more bugs will come. But as they come, we will discover the brighter the light of Christ will shine in his church and in his people. This is the picture of Acts 6. It should be the picture of the church today. May we, Covenant Church, people of God, seize the day, this day of much division, of many distractions, to be a church that loves the word and loves one another. That the church, listen, might multiply sfada greatly. Let's pray. God help us. Even that word stirs our minds, our hearts. <laughs> My guess is even that word creates murmurs. <laughs> Spirit of the living God, will you protect us that we might not hear man's opinion today, but that we hear the voice of the living God on how to live in our world today for your glory and that the church might multiply greatly. Will you help us identify distractions? Will you empower us to work past them to again recognize what is important, what is true, and to live in such a way, even with others that don't agree with us, in love. Father, that's what you reveal in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. May it be true of us today, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to ask you to